This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 41. This is Writing Excuses. Picture books are books, too, with special guest, Seth Fishman. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Brandon. And I'm Howard. And we have our special guest. Hi, I'm Seth Fishman. I am the author of seven picture books, some nonfiction and some fiction. And I'm excited to be here. I am very happy that you're here with us. So a couple of us on the podcast have written picture books or are in the process or have experimented with them, but you have gone, you've you've written a lot more than that. Um, I also know that you write uh, long form as well. What What are some of the things that you think about when you are approaching a picture book? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of people think that picture books are harder than they are. And I don't think you hear that kind of, sort of note very often. I think picture books are easier simply because of their length. I mean, I think of um, NaNoWriMo. We could write 100 picture books in that period of time um, with that many word, with that much word count, probably way less. It doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be the best, but what I love about picture books and the differences is that you can write the whole draft in one sitting if you're in a good mood, you know? And that is something that allows you to throw things out much more to experience and and experiment much more. And in fact, that has actually messed up my writing long form because I get so impatient now when I sit and start writing and the first bump I hit, I'm like, "Mm, uh, I need to take a break. So it's a, (laughs) it's a much different experience. Yeah. Um, So I I also know that you do, uh, you've done like nonfiction picture books, which require a ridiculous amount of research is is that still writing a book in one go? Yeah, that's a different good question. Um, <laughs> you 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 do. You can still get them rolled in there. Um, my first book, A Hundred Billion Trillion Stars, uh, my first picture book, rather. Um, I had the the whole arc of the, the the story came to me as soon as I had the title. I just asked the question, "How many stars are there?" And the answer was so beautiful. And I was thinking about my son. I was able to sort of you know, have the outline, basically the outline is the, was the book. And then you just make the story prettier, right? And the words prettier. So that did work out, but then I had to go backwards and, and do the science behind it. The three others I did, that was, that was much harder, but by then I had the rhythm of what I wanted to do. Cause it was a series, you know, when you write a certain set of series and people are expecting a certain thing, you'll find, especially in picture books, there's a lot of very familiar tropes. And once you find your own rhythm, it's, it just sort of is about, matching that. So I knew what I had to do in the beginning, in the middle, the end, but I didn't know what the special, you know, talents of uh, the sperm whale was, which is that it can deflate its lungs to go really, really deep. And you learn that stuff in the, you know, ocean books, etc. So it's, yeah. So seven picture books. Uh, how many of these have you personally illustrated? How did finding illustrators work? Because that's in in our experience with uh, Sandra and I and, and her picture books, that's a horse of several different colors. Yeah, that's a really great question, and this is where I have to reveal for those who don't you that don't know that I, I'm also a literary agent, so I do have some uh, privilege, I suppose, in this term, in that I uh, 
I know a lot of illustrators and I get this question quite a bit is, should I submit with illustrations or should I not? And my belief is quite firmly that you should, but only if A, the art is really good and B, there's a value add of the artist. And that is not an easy thing to find. Certainly not to just hire someone, pay them money to be able to do. So the bonus that I had is that my first illustrator, Isabel Greenberg, oddly, well, she's, she lives in the UK and she was my former client and um, her primary agent in the UK went to WME and they don't like American agents to not be at WME as well. So I couldn't work with her. And I said, okay, well, when you come back to me, I'm, I'm excited about it because they don't know how to do graphic novels. But um, until then, what about we work on this project together? And so I knew her. She was a best-selling graphic novelist. She had never done a picture book, though. And I had her. And the reason why I want that to happen, I believe it to happen, is the best, um, is because when you submit a book with both together, and there is a value add, some people will pass on the art and some people will pass on the writing. But when they see them both and they like them both, the enthusiasm is much greater than it would be for just the script. That said, traditionally, you still, most people submit just with the writing and then the, the, the agent takes you on and can either pair up uh, with you, you know, that you can have their own. I have a stable of authors that I can pair with clients of mine or you can have the publisher do that. And that is, there's some real advantages to that. You could have- That's, a, uh, that's how we did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, is I submitted the text, said, hey, do you guys want this book? We took it out on submission. We ended up at a publisher and then counted on them because I wanted to learn this process, right? I had never done a picture book. And they came to me with um, with eight illustrators that they wanted to ask. They hadn't asked them yet. And they said, which of these fits best for you? Um, I picked one that I knew uh, and was quite a big fan of. And they approached this individual, which I can't announce yet, um, who said yes. Uh, but um, it was kind of fun for me because each of these illustrators would have interpreted the story differently. Um, and it really helped me kind of get a feel for how do I want this story interpreted before we even went to the illustrators. And have you been able to interact with that illustrator? Yes. yes. So the illustrator sent sketches and we went back and forth on some ideas with the sketches, which are changing the story in interesting ways. Um, and now they're working on uh, going beyond that. Can I follow up? Sorry, really mm -hmm. quickly. Have you been emailing directly with that illustrator? Uh, no, I have not. Um, and I'm aware that uh, this is going to be something we need to push for. It's n So I don't know what everyone else's experience has been, but art directors at publishers tend to be very protective of their artists. Uh, they do not want some author coming in and ham-fistedly, you know, saying, you, blah, 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 blah. Um, and we've had to work overtime at my other publishers to get them used to the idea that it's okay for Brandon to talk to the illustrator. Brandon is not going to destroy the illustrator. Um, yeah. Yeah. When uh, Sandra wrote her uh, Hold On to Your Horses picture book, um, we submitted it and there wasn't a whole lot of interest. We decided to self-publish because we were already set up for that because of Schlock Mercenary. But we knew that I was the wrong artist, absolutely the wrong artist. And we auditioned artists, and there were many, many, many very talented artists who submitted things, and they knew how a horse looked. But the artist we chose drew pictures that told us how a horse felt. And it's difficult to describe how wonderful that is, 
But when you land on the right artist, uh, suddenly you become very protective of them. You want that relationship to just last forever because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was an art major in college and technically could do my own illustrations. I've been an art director and would not illustrate my own books because it's a it's a specific and special skill set for people who don't know. Seth is also my agent. So when we sent it out, we did not send it out with an artist attached. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pause us for our book of the week, which is Seth's. Yes, hello. Um, the book of the week is my forthcoming book, uh, Bad Drawer. And that actually is based on the accumulation of me sort of being jealous of the writer illustrators, which sort of bypasses that problem and allows you to do so many cool other things. So I pitched this book where there was a young kid who's um, who has an idea and is not a great drawer. And, 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 and you know, you can argue about what's good or bad, but the, the, the idea is that they can't get across what's in their mind on the page. and But some of their friends can do this and this and this and this, and they can work together to help, you know, illustrate that that project. But but I was supposed to illustrate it, and my illustration is really bad, and they did pay me for it. And then they said, well, you're not, you're actually so bad um, that we're going to hire someone to... Um, draw badly for you. Um, and I was actually quite devastated, to be honest. But uh, I did demand to have two trees in the final spread. So that's a pretty fun <laughs> bonus. So, I, yeah, I illustrated two trees in there. <sighs> but there's a lot of great illustrators <laughs> like uh, uh, Tilly Walden's in there, Armand Baltazar, Anna Bond, um, Jessica Hish. Uh, there's six six illustrators that are in there with, uh, with me. So it's really fun. All right. Um, so... Thank you. I, I'm excited about this book personally, but I, I am uh, also wanting to know, since we, I am the only person on the podcast without children, um, when, you're, when you are the reader for a picture book, what are some of the things that make you pick it up and go, ah, this book, this book is good? I let my kids do it. Just turn them loose um, and say, you know, what do you want? Now, they're very cover and title influenced, as one might imagine. Um, but I've noticed that the ones my kids like the most are the ones that their teachers have read to them, uh, which is very common for that age group. I will go to the, the store and they'll be like, this one, I love this one. I'm like, how do you know this one? We read it in school. And this one, I love this one. We read it in school. Um, but uh, I let them steer. I'm, I'm curious what they're interested in. The thing that makes me love a picture book um, goes back to what Seth said in the beginning, that you start with an outline and then your job is just make it pretty, make the words uh, just really pretty. Um, And so for me, it is clever turns of phrase. Often that comes in the form of, of some kind of repetitive structure, but just poetic simplicity of language. Um, I, I have never written a line as good 
as Good Night Nobody, Good Night Mush from mm-hmm. Good Night Moon. That's a perfect line. And I love reading that book to my kids because I get to that point and I'm like, oh, this is my favorite line. <laughs> um, so something like that that just Im- impresses me with the economy and uh, beauty of the language itself. You know, one thing we should talk about, uh, since it is a writing podcast, is uh, picture books have a very different format from mm. writing um, uh, others. And this is one of the things I had to uh, beef up on before I wrote it, because a lot of picture books are 40 pages. There are some formats that are a little shorter, a little longer. Um, but basically, when you're writing a picture book, unlike when I'm writing most of my other things, you are considering each page turn. That's a vital bit of important uh, narrative that you're using. And you're considering, are they spreads or are they not? Where are the words going? Howard's smiling because, yeah, this I, is... I was just going to ask, you know, mm-hmm. because when I've, I've, I've written things for comics, I wrote a short story for uh, David Kellett's uh, Drive comic, uh, stories called uh, History and Haberdashery, and I had to ask him several times to make absolutely clear I knew the answer. What page does this begin on? What page does this end on? I need to know where the spreads are, and I need to know where the page turns are, because in comics, uh, you write to the page turn, and in many cases, the person writing the script for the comic is doing preliminary art direction, where they are uh, describing you know, where the reveal is so on and so forth. And my question is, uh, how much of what I already know about writing graphic novels, writing comics, how much of that applies to writing picture books? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it it does quite a bit. I would actually venture to say that most picture books are 32 pages. Some, they really are. Some play to 40. Yeah, I, I squeeze to 40 because I'm an epic fantasy writer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they're 32, and then they're actually 28 because yes. there are a number of other pages. You yep. have your copyright page and whatnot. And if you are an author illustrator, you can like Mo Willems with Pigeon Drive the Bus. It actually starts in the end papers. He sort of starts creating the story earlier. It's sort of cheating. Um, But being able to uh, look at the dummy of a book is incredibly important. I I think you should just type in uh, to Google uh, picture book dummy and you'd be able to see the 32 pages spread in there and you'd be able to write literally onto that. And it's so curious to see how you'd be able to do that if you're just a normal fiction writer how that affects you. But to be a comic book writer, the stage directions is helpful. I mean, obviously you want your artist to experience it the way they want, right? But there's some things you have to say because it's part of the plot or a mood you really needed to get across. And I think it's incredibly important to do that. And it seems like the translation is really good. Um, Mary Robin, I, I was very curious though, because you write, you know, you write SF and then you wrote an SF uh, picture book. And the, the interplay with the artist was a little bit different. I had hmm. I was very fascinated watching that back and forth. Your notes were different. And I was curious to know how you were feeling when you were seeing these notes pop in, in terms of both the art, but then also the science behind what you were doing. Right. So one of the the things that I have kind of as a brand at this point is that that my stuff will be accurate. And picture books are supposed to be beautiful and stylized. And so what I wanted was instead of stylizing off of an imaginary rocket, I wanted her to stylize off of an actual rocket. And so I, I would send over notes like, uh, here, here are some rocket ships to look at. Um, on the, the moon, the initial illis- the, the roughs that I got back uh, were wooden crates. And I'm like, well, this is what things would actually be packed in. Uh, she had a pitcher 
um, and I'm for for pouring water, and I sent over juice packs, and um, and it was it was really great. But you know, I didn't have a direct back and forth with my illustrator, but um, but my editor was so good at passing that information on and having the conversations with with the the illustrator. But then the illustrator also came back with ideas like there's a, a a uh, pair of red buttons that float through and in, in, in every single uh, every single thing, and we like things don't just float float on the moon. There is gravity, but we had the conversation of well, it would probably weigh about as much of a feather, so it is realistic to assume that it might be kicked up at any given moment. And she had this idea that these buttons would float all the way through and then be incorporated into the final image as kind of this this beautiful emotional touchstone that was not at all anywhere in my in my ideas. So it was um, it was I, I subscribe to the Jim Henson model of success, which is that you hire someone who is better than you and let them do their job. And that for me is like a prime example of the the, the visual language that she could bring to it. And I brought the science like, okay, this is this is what an actual rocket looks like. And I, I think she did it just a like a wonderful job with that. In uh, late 2017, I got to uh, illustrate a uh, Munchkin deck for Steve Jackson Games for uh, Munchkin Starfinder. And one of the most challenging things was coming up with a syntax for taking the uh, Paizo Starfinder spaceships on model and caricaturing a spaceship on a card so it looks silly. I know how to caricature a person because because I know what pieces get exaggerated and what pieces get shrunk. But what are those pieces on a spaceship? And the answer is, I couldn't actually tell you without going back and looking at the cards and remembering what I did. Yeah. Well, this has been a lovely conversation, and I would love to give our listeners some homework. Yes. Well, because picture books are sort of so new to a number of the listeners, this is a little double-part homework. The first is to go to your local bookstore and just explore the picture book section, see how they are stacked, how they're promoted, and how it's different from the section you normally hang out in. And then second of all, I encourage you to try to write one, 500 words or less. It's very simple. And see how it feels and try not to do rhyme. That's the other part of it. And just try that in the SF or the fantasy category. There's not enough of them. And I would highly encourage, you know, writing that to fill that space. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. 
I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.